Well, in life, all of us are confronted with questions day in and day out. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but some questions just stump me. Here, here's just a few I ran into that totally stumped me. And if, if the answer comes to you immediately, please feel free to share. So here, here are the questions. How long is the answer to this question? Any idea what the answer is? How long? How long is the answer to this question? How long? How do you identify a dogwood tree? By its bark. <laughs> Who is bigger, Mr. Bigger, Mrs. Bigger, or their baby? The baby is, because she's a little bigger. You got it. <laughs> These are so stupid. Um, <laughs> and finally, how did the tree get lost? It took the wrong route. Well, this week we get into the second and final part of a sermon I began last week, and each sermon is totally self-contained, and so are the parts within it. So if you missed it, no worries. It's also online if you'd like to see it. But last Sunday I shared that sometimes we grow more from our questions than the answers we have, and that a big part of our faith journey is, is learning to sit with questions for a while and not rushing too quickly to, to find answers. Jesus was the master in asking questions. His questions always had a huge impact. And how people responded to Jesus' questions was always varied. In hearing what people asked, some people paused. Some people had to face truths they didn't want to face. Some people changed their lives in new directions. Some learned they were stuck. Some people got angry and they were ticked off because of what he was asking. Other people had lives that were changed. And what is important for us to consider is that every question Jesus asked long ago are questions I believe God invites us to ask ourselves now. Questions such as, why did Jesus ask that? Who was he asking? What was the context? And, and perhaps most importantly, what is Jesus asking of me? Well, for now, we talked about three questions last week, and this week I want to turn to some more. <clears throat> and some of the questions we get into may seem more relevant to you, personally relevant, than others, and that's okay. And each of these questions we're going to explore, they stand alone, so these are like little self-contained little sermonettes. And so let's start with this first question. In Matthew chapter 15, a group of very religious people approached Jesus and asked him, Jesus, the, the people that follow you around, they, they're, they're supposed to be people of faith, right, Jesus? And, but they don't wash their hands like our religious tradition demands. What's up with that, Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't answer their questions, then he has one of his own. He says, and why are you who are so religious? Why, why do you break a commandment of God for the sake of your religious traditions? Well, let's explore what Jesus was getting at. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor your mother and father, to care for parents and to ensure that their needs are met. Now, I realize this isn't always possible for a variety of reasons, and Jesus certainly would have understood this too, but that's not what's going on here. Instead, the very religious people Jesus were confronting were doing this. Rather than supporting their parents, they took any money they had that could have been used to help their parents, and they gave it to their place of worship instead. Now, they could have done both, 
but instead they gave it all to their temple. And they gave it to their temple because they knew they would receive accolades. By giving to their temple, which the religious tradition encouraged, people would have looked at them and thought, wow, what great people, they're so generous. But in doing so, and giving to the temple was fine, but in doing so, in the way they were doing it, they were breaking the commandment of honoring one's mother and father because they weren't supporting their parents at all. The bottom line, the very religious people were doing something that on the surface looked right, but it was at the expense of something far more weighty. Now, religious traditions are clearly important, but they can get in the way. They can get in the way of what matters at the core of our faith. Now, Jesus' question is a great question for each of us to ask ourselves, although in a more expanded way. This question that Jesus asked those people, I believe, compels each one of us to ask, are there things in my life that are getting in the way of what it really means for me to walk with Jesus? What habits? What ways of doing things? What life history? What cherished traditions? What political positions? What anything in my life might be impeding my alignment with what is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus? Things like loving God, loving others as ourselves. Things like humility and kindness and gentleness and generosity and joy and peace. Things like living selflessly and encouraging other people and building people up. You see, sometimes part of our lives, including mine, they're parts that interfere with the essence of faith. And I believe that God is asking each of us to regularly take stock and look what might be getting in the way of our relationship with God and how God wants us to live. Sometimes our faith means we need to adjust some things. Sometimes it means we need to let things go that we've been holding on to pretty tightly. Let's move on to another question. Chapter 5, Luke's Gospel. Jesus is in the midst of teaching a group of people about a variety of topics. Quite the crowd had gathered, and Jesus must have been quite on the roll because the crowd was growing. Well, some other people heard that Jesus was nearby, and this was important to them because they had a very ill friend, a man who was paralyzed, and they wanted to get their friend to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could heal him. Well, when they get to the house where Jesus is teaching, as you know the story, the house is so packed they can't get inside. So they go up to the roof, and they dig a hole in it, and they lower the man down to Jesus' feet. When Jesus sees the man, he looks out and he says, your sins are forgiven. But once again, the most religious people in the crowd don't get it. They challenge Jesus by saying, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. Only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replies, why are you asking such questions? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? And Jesus then heals the man. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? What a great question for each of us to think about. Let me explain. Now, on one level, this story, this question, shows that anybody can say anything. I can say your sins are forgiven. You can say your sins are forgiven. I can say I'm going to turn the sky green. You can say you can jump 200 feet in the air. 
These are all just words, right? But how many of us can cause a paralyzed man to be healed and to walk? You see, in this story, by doing the harder of the two things, actually healing somebody versus just saying something, Jesus demonstrated to the people who he was and that his words actually meant something and were true. The story tells me that sometimes when we do what is really, really hard, things that are less hard seem more possible. Jesus was saying, hey, if I can heal a man, you must know that my words of forgiveness are true. And Jesus asked, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? And through this question, I believe Jesus is asking me a question, asking all of you a question. What hard things, really hard things, might we do that will make other things so much easier? What big problem are you facing? If you address it head on, we'll take care of the smaller problems or at least make them simpler to deal with. What challenges and what are some of the big challenges you have faced in life and gotten through that might help you in other smaller challenges you need to respond to now? Sometimes overcoming the big things helps us with the smaller things. And so Jesus asks us, what really hard thing might you need to do to make the rest much easier? Moving on, in Luke chapter 9, we find this. Jesus is alone and praying. His closest followers are nearby. Coming out of prayer, Jesus asks his companions, who do, you, who do people say that I am? They then tell Jesus what they've been hearing. Jesus then looks at Peter and asks, but who do you say that I am, Peter? Well, this question caused me to remember something. Years and years and years and years ago, I wrote a note to one of our children near the time they were born. And it was about this issue. Here's just part of what I put down on paper. The question, who do you say that I am, is one of the great questions in life. Jesus asked it of one of his most committed followers named Peter. How you answer this question will dictate and set the course of your entire life. The manner in which you respond to this question will determine your actions and color your emotions in times of despair as well as joy. Your answer will affect how you conduct yourself, how you view money, the degree to which you become involved in a community of faith, what gives you a sense of security and stability, what you consider to be permanent, how you treat others, how you establish your priorities. So it is to this question that I pray that you will continually return. When another one lets you down or hurts you, when you lose somebody you love, when you get a great, great grade or tempted by something, when you write checks and spend money, when you're angry at another human being, when you're bitter or considering lashing out, when your heart is broken, when you're self-absorbed and selfish, when you're in debate with somebody with whom you disagree, when you're wondering whom or what it is you can count on, at the pinnacle moments and at the depths and the valleys of your life, turn to the question that Jesus asks everybody 
who do you say that I am? And as you struggle with this question, remember what Jesus said. Anyone who intends to come to me has to let me lead utterly and completely. Follow me and I will show you how. What good would it do to get everything you want in life and lose the real you? And while there's more to the letter than what I shared, I believe the words remain relevant not only for our children, but for each and every one of us here today we're watching. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking you right now again. And he'll ask it tomorrow and the day after that. Who do you say that I am? And it is your answer, my answer, that, we'll, that we will discover and encounter who we really are. And we will encounter the purpose and meaning of our lives, which is love. On to something else. Near the end of Matthew's gospel, we find the story of Jesus' crucifixion and another marvelous question. Poignant, hard to hear, but important. Jesus hanging on the cross says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? These words, these, this question to God, while not easy to ponder, as I said, certainly capture where most if not many of us, have been at one point or another in our lives. Whether or not this has been the case for you, let's look at this question for just a second. When Jesus asked why he had been abandoned by God, Jesus was carrying the weight of the entire world on his shoulders. Jesus, the ultimate expression of love and forgiveness, was taking all that separates us from God and putting an end to such separation on the cross. And it was with the height of his physical and psychological torment that he asked, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And while none of us has taken on what Jesus took on for our behalf, certainly most, if not all of us, have gone through some brutally painful, tough stuff. I have to say I've had moments in my life in which I felt God was nowhere to be found times in which I said, God, where are you? God, why don't you do something? God, are you there? Is there anybody out there? Questions I'm sure some of you may have had. Well, Scripture is full of stories of people who could certainly relate to our experiences. Here are just a few. Naomi, after she lost her husband and two sons, says in essence, God is against me. God has left me. Then there was a fellow named Gideon, one day he said, if God was with us, none of this would have happened. And then the psalmist in Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? And in Psalm 22, here are the words. King David said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew David's sentiment. And he uttered those words on the cross himself. The point of all this is that sometimes our human experience is one that leaves us feeling left by God, abandoned by God, or that God is nowhere to be found. Jesus' question on the cross reminds me, too, that in any close relationship, there are a multitude of experiences, thoughts, and emotions. That for any relationship to be intimate, for two people to truly know one another and experience closeness, 
whether it's a partner or a friend, we have to be willing to share what is going on within, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus asking God why God had abandoned him helps remind me that Christ wants the same kind of intimacy from us. Here's how the writer C.S. Lewis put it. Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want just so much of this and just so much of that. I want you. No half measures. Hand over your whole self, all the good, all the bad, and I will give you myself. The point, God wants us to be fully transparent, revealing what's within, and honest with God, whatever it is that's going on. God wants us to take it all to God, including those moments when we wonder if God is anywhere to be found, those moments in which we feel abandoned. And so God asks each of us this morning, have you felt, have you ever felt that I was hard to find in your life? Have you ever felt abandoned by me? Have you ever felt left? God says, then tell me about it. Talk to me about it. Bring it to me, as Jesus did on the cross. And finally, just one more question this morning. Mark chapter 5. Jesus was out and about as usual, large crowd following him. One guy fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to heal his daughter. Jesus says, sure, and he begins to go with the fellow. But as this happens, another woman who had been ill for a long time comes up behind Jesus. Jesus doesn't even see her, and she touches his clothes. The woman was healed, and at that moment, Jesus felt something. We're told that he felt the power leave him. Jesus then turns around in the crowd and says, who touched me? His followers say, for goodness sakes, Jesus, how on earth can you know who touched you? There are a ton of people here. Well, the woman who touched Jesus fesses up and says she's the one who reached out to him. This story certainly is about a woman who could only muster up enough courage to get near Jesus and to touch his clothes rather than speaking him directly. It is a good reminder that Jesus meets us wherever we are, even when we're hesitant to take whatever it is to him. The story certainly is also about the intersection of the woman's faith and Jesus' healing power. But the story, and more specifically Jesus' question, who touched me, I believe invites us all to consider something else. Jesus knew that he impacted the life of the woman who touched his clothes. And whether we are aware of it or not, you and I touch every single person that is near us, even those who are behind us, whom we cannot see. We have an impact on every human being, even when our encounter is momentary, even if it's someone we have never seen before or will never see again. We affect people, even those who are behind us that we don't even know are there and watching. The woman touched Jesus' clothes. We touch the lives of everyone around us. Jesus asked, who touched me? 
And I believe Jesus is asking each one of us, how are you going to touch others on my behalf? We should never underestimate the impact we have. We should not minimize how very small things can make a massive difference. So today Jesus asks, how are you going to touch others? Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. Three questions this week. Five questions this week. Just some summary things to take away from this week before concluding. Jesus asks us how and in what way might part of our lives or ways of doing things be getting in the way of our journey with Christ? What are some hard things that we can do that will make the smaller things much easier? Who do we say that Jesus is? Have you ever felt abandoned by God or alone and taken it to God? How are we going to touch the lives of those around us? Great questions, but Jesus asked hundreds. I really hope that this short series will compel each of us, not only to spend time with the questions we've looked at, but to really dig into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. With, a, with, with an underliner in our eyes that seeks out the questions. And it will dig into those questions to understand and explore why, what it is that Jesus might be asking us. It's a powerful thing to do. It's a game changer. If you want to deepen your faith, dig into the questions in the Gospels. It will affect you profoundly and deepen your relationship with God. So it's my prayer that all of this will help us and move us along in our journey in faith. Amen.